Media MD, your fortnightly dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Good Omens, the book, not the show, but maybe the show, because I did finish it. But before I keep talking about that, <laughs> Elliot, why don't you take it away with telling us about the book? Sure. Uh, yes, so I finished the book and I've watched two episodes of the show. I think that's uh, enough for you to understand my main criticism of it, so we'll get to it a bit later. Yes, I, I also have some things to say on it. Obviously, I haven't yeah, seen all of it, but it's enough to have some feelings already. Uh, anyway, yes. So, Good Omens, or um, the, you know, it's also subtitled The Name of a Book Within the Book, uh, which mm-hmm. is like the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which mm-hmm. yep. uh, is... <sighs> Uh, like a plot summary is hard for this book. It's it's about the it's about the like apocalypse, like Armageddon, and just a bunch of shenanigans that surround various parties trying to stop it or not really. Like you know, just shenanigans based around the apocalypse. Uh, so there's yeah. kind of like just I guess various groups of characters who are all kind of doing their own thing, and they they intermingle in bits and pieces. Uh, especially the climax which is where sort of everyone comes together uh and they manage to stop the apocalypse spoilers uh <gasps> and yeah um so i mean I, I i'd rather just sort of talk about each set of characters individually i think because all right um let's uh let's do it yeah. from most favorite to least favorite <laughs> well so most favorite would have to be uh okay so I, I was pronouncing these totally wrong in my head which i learned in the show so uh crowley and uh aziraphale mm-hmm. uh the the demon and the angel who have sort of become unlikely friends uh over thousands of years posted on earth and uh are trying to prevent the apocalypse because they've decided they like life on earth more than heaven or hell yep um, which is fair enough in my opinion oh i mean based on the the world that the book sets out like yes very much so although obviously we're humans so we would definitely feel that way like the, yeah bias. Uh, a big part of their thread is that they've uh to to quote one of the other demons sort of gone native with how long <laughs> they've been uh, they've been yeah. posted on earth uh yeah. i i think because of the advertising for the show I was mm. under the impression the book would be much more about these two than it ended up being. Yeah, they're, they're one of maybe four groups that the book focuses on. So they're yes. about a quarter of the book, I would say. Maybe a yeah. third. And I think just because of the fantastic casting the show got with Michael yeah. Sheen and David Tennant, uh, the advertising is focused heavily on those two. I mean, and as you would, honestly. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, of course. Um and and as 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 we sort of said by bringing these up first, these two were my favourite, and I'm not gonna lie, I was a little disappointed in how little time they got. Like, I think I could just read an entire series of uh, like the adventures of Crowley and Aziraphale, because mm. uh, like yeah, they they're great. Their dynamic was fantastic. I I loved everything about about these two and and how they were sort of set up. Yeah, I think that's one decision that the show did that worked well, actually, is it kind of, it didn't make them the only characters, obviously, but it made them the central characters a bit more, uh, which I think is a smart move because they are, I think, the the best lens to kind of grasp the story through, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. The other groups obviously have their own roles to play, but Crowley and Aziraphale really are the ones who (laughs) I think have the most understanding of what's actually going on most of the way through. Yeah, like you could easily construe um, uh, an, another one. Else, uh, anathema, anathema. Yeah, anathema. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I think that's what the show's calling her. Uh, 
you could you could rewrite her stuff so that she knew more based on what prophecies she was getting. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't think her and, and Newt, Newt's stuff was anywhere as interesting. As interesting. Ooh. Um, so are they so, your least so, favorite group, Newt and Anathema? Yeah, maybe. I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't Man, thought harsh. about it that much. Um, I was just sort of going to go down through the list and see who kept jumping out at me. But um, <laughs> so sort of go, going back to to uh, Crowley and and Azurfell, I yeah, I love the way they're used to set up this kind of lack of difference between heaven and hell, or like good and evil. Like the concepts of good and evil are yeah. very much set up in this book to just kind of be. It's almost like a narcissism of small differences fight. Like there, there's not yeah. actually that much. Um, uh between them it it actually kind of reminds me of the most critically acclaimed episode of avatar the last airbender which is the great divide uh talking about these two groups and how they're they're basically just two sides of the same coin right um yeah which is obviously one of the bigger themes of the book is that these ideas of right and wrong and and uh objective morality kind of a nonsense <laughs> yes and uh I, I mean, one of my favorite recurring jokes is when uh, Crowley and Aziraphale would, would reference something in history and they couldn't remember, like, which one of theirs it was. <laughs> like, yeah. they'd be like, the, yeah. uh, you know, the, the reign of terror in France. And I was like, was that was that one of yours? And then the other one would be like, I, I think so. Like, yeah, you know, yeah totally. It, it sums up the point very well, which is that, <laughs> you know, good and evil are kind of indistinguishable at that level. At least the, on the... um. At least on the scale of kind of biblical good and evil, where good is all about smiting villains yeah, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a great lens to kind of uh, interact with that major theme through, is those two characters. Um, yeah, and uh, and just, I mean, I think I've already said but their dynamic was, was so fun. Like, they're sort of, uh, they have this sort of natural friendship that they're both kind of trying to resist, but they can't <laughs> help it. It's yep. so It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they're also a great device because they're the ones that are able to kind of interact with heaven and hell the most directly, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think Terry Pratchett and slash or Neil Gaiman, when they were writing this kind of had a lot to, a lot of jokes they wanted to make about the internal politics of heaven and hell. And so having yeah. Aziraphale and Crowley just be able to kind of go off into these short skits about their interactions with heaven and hell works quite well. Yeah, I, I loved all the jokes about how bureaucratic uh, they they both were. Um, <laughs> and, and, like, all the stuff with the whole ineffable plan um, is was also great. Mm. Um, yeah, so then I guess I guess the next sort of group of characters, um, I, I quite liked Adam and Friends. So, obviously, mm. uh, Adam is the Antichrist in, in the story, uh, and he's he got lost, basically, and so uh, he grew up having like a normal childhood and he's just got his group of friends and it's a very like um you know stephen king kids kids on bikes in a small town type (laughs) story uh with the twist being that the leader of the group turns out to be the antichrist who can completely manipulate reality as he sees fit yeah and i think that's something that works really well for me in the book is that he goes he he really does lose the plot for a while there right and Mm. that whole part is is a kind of scene that will stick with me as he kind of is turning evil and his friends are being like oh shit what's going on and then he actually kind of does turn evil for a bit um yeah it's very compellingly written yeah i i agree i i liked yeah following his journey sort of as you were talking about like watching him sort of realize what's happening to him uh having dog i like i liked the concept of dog um (laughs) 
And <laughs> yeah, so so because I think you know we already talked about how the the book sort of deals with this whole concept of uh, objective morality kind of being nonsense. And I, I'd almost say the other half of the book, like I, there was a recurring theme of kind of pointlessness like but not in not in wait that sounds really negative there's like Mm. there's almost this sense of look the the universe is nonsense it it doesn't make sense like grand destiny and all that shit that's pointless just just like you do you Mm. um and and i think that's sort of perfectly summed up in all this adam stuff like adam is sort of meant to be the antichrist but he got lost and and you know he sort of rejects his destiny uh in the end because he just wants to hang out in his small town yeah. Uh, that, he, that he really loves and, and you know you say it like uh anathema is dealing with similar ideas because her destiny has all been pre-written by her ancestor um yeah so she's just kind of everything's pointless in in her life kind of because it's all pre-written so she yeah. doesn't really ha- have anything to do what is the pointless isn't the right word it's got yeah i know what you mean though it's that kind of doctor who vibe of like there's no greater purpose to existence other than just kind of love and being happy and and making the world slightly better in your immediate circle right yeah well so it's like this if there is a plan to all this it's so ineffable or or like (laughs) so so beyond comprehension that just don't fucking bother just like you know be the best you can type thing yeah and and yeah and you see like even crowley and aziraphale like are sort of doing with that like they reject heaven and hell uh respectively and just sort of try to do the thing that they think is right yeah uh and again like it ends up making no difference like they're they're essentially ineffectual in the end like everything they're doing in the whole book was to the wrong kid anyway (laughs) by the time they realize adam's basically sorted it out himself so yeah they don't actually really achieve anything in this book Uh, no they kind of are just (laughs) dicking around and they fuck over heaven and hell both a bit and then that's kind of it yeah yeah exactly. they get there just in time to watch the end of the world be averted <laughs> um but but you know but they were sort of true to themselves i guess and that's yeah. sort of why why they sort of come out of this with a sense of victory at least at least that was my interpretation mm. yeah um yeah it's interesting i i think there are the the different characters that we follow the kind of different ensembles that we follow across this book are all very well picked to to get at the the core themes that we've already kind of discussed but I think one of the things I wanted to touch on when we talked about this book again is just I, the style of it, the style of just devolving into these weird little skits uh, kind of like in between the plot is something that I really love. Um, it's very, I mean, I guess it reminds me of some of the other Terry Pratchett books I've read, but yeah, it's very, it's a very fun kind of writing style. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there were definitely moments, so I, I had a little bit of an issue at the start of the book, particularly with the baby swapping scene at the start, <laughs> uh, even though the book slows down and tries to make it so that it's explained for dummies, it, it took me a while to figure out exactly what had happened because I was getting all the names confused. Right. And I, I think I did sort of struggle a bit at first because there are a lot of characters like, um, I, I think uh, like Newt is just sort of introduced in like a one page thing and then doesn't come up again for like you know another 40 pages or something and i kind of it took me a while to connect oh this is the kid who was like constantly breaking electronics Mm. uh so so like the sort of lack of structure i agree works because it just lets the story like weave in and out of the sort of the plot and then also just having funny little 
skits and moments that tie together Mm. um like one of the strongest examples of that would probably be the bit where it introduces the four horsemen and it it sort of it took me like two and two and a bit before i realized oh these are the four horsemen like that one was war and and that one was famine and 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 now we're dealing with like uh, eventually you sort of figure out it's pollution uh because pestilence retired after uh, they invented (laughs) uh vaccines or something which was hilarious um but yeah there were other times where it that structure also made me feel like I was getting a bit lost or uh, sometimes it just felt like the book wasn't really actually going anywhere for a while. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, there were sort of pros and cons to it. It was different, which I liked. Yeah, I, I guess the, wor- the word I didn't want to use before because it does kind of bring up inherent cons is whimsical, right? Uh, but I think it's probably pretty a pretty appropriate description of this book. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, I mean, I think I would apply that word to a lot of Pratchett and Gaiman stories that I'm familiar with. So, mm. like, of course, the two of them combined, um, you know, build up that sort of vibe. Um. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I, I should read some more Neil Gaiman. I haven't read very much of his stuff. Um, I definitely recommend American Gods. In fact, maybe, maybe actually, maybe yeah, no, that's I, a... no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, Take it back, Elliot. Hold it for the podcast. <laughs> um, I, I think, yeah, I, I want to kind of touch on some of these skits because I think to me they're my favorite part of the book. Right. Um, mm. I think a great example is uh, there's some sections where. Uh, there's some self-referential humor made towards uh, the third baby in the kind of addendums to the book, which yeah. pays off later on, which I thought was great. Um, the the all the stuff with death in the bar and the bikers uh, riding along behind them, I thought was awesome. Um, <laughs> there's all kinds of great stuff in there. Um, yeah, I, I I liked the little recurring Elvis stuff in in yep. all the Four Horsemen. Yep things uh particularly the way it culminates with uh death who's killing all these trivia questions and then he finally gets wrong one wrong because it asks when elvis died and death's like i don't care what it says i never touched him uh it's hilarious <laughs> yeah uh, it's great yeah. also like de- and you know death talks in all caps like he does in in Discworld. You know, yeah is nice it a little touch i mean it's Discworld death right like i, I don't know I- if it's explicit but it seems like it's apt I mean, he's definitely meant to remind you of him to an extent. I, I don't know. I don't know how that continuity could possibly work, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think Pratchett definitely sort of brought in brought in some aspects of the character uh, yeah. into into this at least. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think, and I'm gonna jump to the TV show a bit here. I think some of the whimsicalness in the book is what hurts the show. It's just that they kind of are trying to capture this whimsical nature and it doesn't translate as well onto the screen as it, I, as you'd think it would. I mean, it's a very literal translation, right? Yeah. So that's sort of one of the things I wanted to bring up is a lot of particularly Pratchett-style humour is very... It, it, it works perfectly in the written medium. And I think the show struggled to adapt some of his humour... Uh, like obviously, I've only seen two episodes, but like a lot of what I've seen was just they have this narrator who uh, the um I had the subtitles on called her God at one point, so mm-hmm. I guess God is is in the show, because um, <laughs> because you know she wasn't really in the books directly, uh, yep. but she just sort of essentially as a narrator just makes some of the jokes that the book did. Like because, <laughs> yep. obviously, because I'm watching it so close, I'm recognizing that it's just like a word for word quote. Uh, from the book and it kind of just feels like this was a joke that would never work in any way except like 
via narration in script and so all they've done is yep. just had had a narrator read it out on screen and and those were the ones in particular i felt like in the show i was like ah oh, that didn't really work for me like it did in the book yeah um i think if you continue the show you'll find there are a few parts where the show diverges from the book it takes a bit more liberties and those to me are the best parts of the show like it's actually quite weird that taking the general structure of the show of the book into the show obviously worked pretty well but the more literal the translation is the 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 less it kind of works which is very strange but yeah there were already some bits towards the end of episode two that were kind of more felt more original um, or they were they were sort of changing or, or adapting uh, some stuff better. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I agree. Those those were the bits that I felt really worked. Like there was some some sort of rejigged uh, Crowley and, and Aziraphale uh, scenes that were like adapted very well to the to the TV uh, as opposed to from the book. Yeah, I, I think I think it's episode three or maybe four where the whole first half of the episode. And I know you haven't seen it yet, so I'll avoid spoilers. The whole first half of the episode is, as far as I'm aware, not in the books. <laughs> it's just kind of yeah, completely okay. original, and it, it's great. I think a lot of people called it out as their favorite part of the show, <laughs> which is pretty wild, but well, it's very much think, in the spirit of the show, of the Yeah, books. well, I think the first episode of the show made it like just over a quarter of the way through the book based on my rough memory of you know having read it within the, the week or so of watching. So, um, I mean, I think to fill out six whole episodes, they were going to have to... Uh, add some original stuff and i think yeah they should if they're adapting it to the screen anyway like this is this is why I, i'm glad th- i'm glad it wasn't a movie i think if they tried to cram it into a movie it wouldn't have worked i'm glad mm. i'm glad a six episode tv show is what they went for i feel like that's pretty much perfect yeah it does feel bang on with the right length doesn't it um yeah i mean i haven't i haven't finished it yet but two episodes in it feels like it's going to be about right yeah i guess it's worth pointing out that the book is kind of at least to me it it's pretty light on plot, right? Like the main thing of the book is the kind of atmosphere atmosphere that it gives you, really. Yeah, well, that's sort of what I was saying. There were definitely huge chunks of the middle of the book where I felt like it wasn't really moving. Like I, yeah. I you know, I felt I felt like I could read fifty pages, and it was like I don't think we're any closer to the apocalypse in any way except time. Yeah, uh, or page count. But like I was still enjoying it just because it was kind of. It was very much, as you sort of mentioned in the prescription, they just had a bunch of ideas and they were just sort of having fun with it. Yeah, uh, totally. That's and, how it feels, right? It feels yeah, like someone, exactly. you know, Neil Gaiman had this idea of like, oh, what if there's this funny scene? And then they just kind of worked it into the story. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, there was definitely, I, I don't know if this is just the, the part of me that's used to complete stories or whatever, but there was a sense of... The, the way it all some yeah the way it all comes together at the end uh very much left me made me feel more happy with sort of what had been happening like I do like this sense of moving forward and and having a sense of coming to the conclusion mm. uh and, and so that sort of probably was my favorite part of the book for that reason like I really liked the way it all sort of came together but uh like I I agree that the the just the skits sort of worked uh on by themselves mm. yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's not to say that the plot of the book isn't good. I mean, there's some parts of it that I really like, like how Newt is set up to be terrible with computers and then it, that's the thing that kind of saves the world yes. in the end, which is awesome. Um, uh, yeah, it's because it's, it's, 
it, like it's it, it's a good twist because you kind of you you do kind of see it coming as the scenes being set up and they're like how are we possibly going to do this and he's been like it's been really hammered into us that uh whenever he tries to fix computers they break yeah uh, and then but it, it just feels so good watching um anathema put it together yeah yeah um yeah there's a lot of a lot of this book is very cool kind of interweaving uh setups and stuff that that it all feels very meticulously constructed and pays off quite well yes or or like little side jokes will then sort of repay off or be referenced like way way later um like it's right at the end of the book that uh this telephone uh salesman calls and is confused that they've lost a day and that was like a joke that was referenced in the first half of the book somewhere that i barely <laughs> remember and i was just sort of like wait this was a thing like shit like <laughs> such dedication to sort of going through everything they've done and, and sort of tying it all together uh yeah it, it's great yeah yeah um what else should we say about the book i don't know it's just like it's a funny book it's just very funny <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think if you like pratchett and game and stuff you'll like this book and if you don't like pratchett and game and stuff then i'm confused yeah yeah this is a pretty i think this is a pretty uh approachable example of of this kind of their style right yeah yeah because it, it, it is very much a, a drop in and drop out book i guess maybe because i tried to read a lot of it very quickly uh due to the nature of this podcast i wonder if like i wonder if this is a book where you you almost want to spread it out over a month or two you know like just well, reading a couple of chapters a day i think that's the way i first read it and then when i read it for the second time there are a lot more of these kind of callbacks and stuff that I caught yeah, that right. I didn't you would catch. Miss... But I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, feels like some of that stuff is meant to be there so that when you enjoy this book for the second time, it's got a bit more depth to it, you know? Yeah, I kind of get that vibe. This feels like a, a book that's kind of, that encourages you to, to read it uh, more than once. Yeah. I don't know if you're, the copy you read has this, but there's some like forwards at the start and kind of Q&A at the back of, of the version that I have. Um, yeah. And it, it really sets up this picture of the kind of deep connection that people have had to this book since it came out. Um, <laughs> and you can see why. It definitely feels like a book that, that you can kind of enjoy thinking about and remembering. Oh, yeah, the, the bikers all kept changing their names and that was hilarious. Or like <laughs> this other little bit, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I agree. As I said, I I would just read an entire series of like the misadventures of of Crowley and Aziraphale. <laughs> uh, I, I I thought those two were so great. Uh, yeah, and Michael Sheen and uh, David Tennant are so perfectly cast. <laughs> like, it's like the parts were written for them. It's wild. In fact, I think. Well, I don't remember this too well enough, but I remember in the when we were talking about David Tennant does a podcast. I'm pretty sure that Aziraphale as Michael Sheen was in part kind of thought of at the time. Uh, well, the story he tells in that uh, episode of the podcast, I, I, I mostly remember was uh, it, Michael Sheen was actually working with Neil Gaiman on some of the stuff to adapt it to the screen, right? And, it, right. and he was originally down to play Crowley, and then they <laughs> they were working on it more and more and. It was sort of one of that thing where they that thing where they both started to feel like I think Michael or you know myself will be better as a zero fail and eventually I think Michael Sheen finally brought it up and Neil Gaiman was like yes like I think <laughs> I think I agree this is perfect for you and then obviously yeah. you know they got David Tennant for Crowley who will presumably nail any role yeah so yeah 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 it's great 
Um, anyway, so do you want to do you want to give it a number, Elliot? Yes, I suppose I should. Uh, I'm going to give this one an eight and a half. Eight and a half ten. out of ten. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, it's a fun book. I really love this book. You know, it's just it's just <laughs> a fun ride. Um, anyway, that's the end of our discussion about Good Omens. Oh, I guess one other question before we segue on is: Are you going to keep watching the show? Are you going to finish it off? Yeah, I I definitely am. Uh, I, I enjoyed the two episodes uh, I, I've seen so far, and I, I mm. want to see how they go adapting, uh, particularly the finale. Okay. Well, we'll maybe check up on that later. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, but for now, what are we going to be talking about next fortnight? Yes. Uh, so my prescription for everyone for the upcoming fortnight is the movie a La- uh, The Land Before Time. Mm. You asked a while ago if I had seen this before, and I'm pretty sure I haven't, but I feel like I've seen, like, The Land Before Time 4 or one of those, you know, like, uh, one of the movies somewhere down the line that's got the same characters, but yeah, I don't remember anything about it, you know? So, I have that kind of vibe. <laughs> so these movies were a, a big thing in the Diebold household as I was growing up. Uh, my sisters and I, I think we had the first, like, eight or nine on VHS. How many are there? <laughs> I mean, I think they went right up to 16. I mean, we oh fell God. out, you know, we, we fell out, uh, you know, from the sounds of it about halfway through. Sure. Um, but the thing is, the first one is an entirely different thing to the others. And this was something like <laughs> when I when I went to revisit it as an adult, I think like a few years after uh, finishing college, my sisters and I were back home at the same time. And for a bit of a nostalgia trip, we put on the first movie. And we were like, oh, shit, that's still really good. And then we put on the second one. And the second one is like a musical. And, and it's just, it's clearly targeted at kids like five and under. And, right. uh, and we were all sort of like, ugh. Um, well, oh, okay. this, this is so awful. So it's like, it, it's, I'm getting kind of diehard vibes from you where it's like the first one was an idea and the second one was trying to cash in on the idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like the first one is this is this great kind of original movie that, as I said, I, I believe still holds up. And then the rest of the movies were very much like mm, we have this intellectual property, and uh, it's <laughs> it's a dinosaur movie yeah. for kids, I guess. Uh, and so they just started churning them out like basically annually. Uh, and, and so yeah, I only want to talk about the first one because right. having rewatched this a couple of times over the last few years, I think this is just a genuinely good uh, film. Well, let's so, forget like, the other 15 and just talk about yes. the one. <laughs> um, so, first of all, uh, some of the executive producers behind this are Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Um, okay. All right. Big so, names. Big names. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. I, I, just, I just think that leads, uh, lends some credibility that it, that it greatly needs. Uh, I think it was directed by Don Bluth, who did, you know, Anastasia and a few other, mm. like, you know, defining movies of my childhood. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's basically about a, a group of dinosaurs and there's a, there's, you know, a big drought sort of going on and so they're trying to find this mystical valley which is basically the only place left with much food uh because they're all they're all herbivores uh right. and so it's, it's about the search for this great valley which is the the last place left with greenery uh mm-hmm. and you know the troubles they encounter on the way I th- i'm pretty sure that's just about all the plot summary we need <laughs> um, so i i guess the question that this begs to me is i know this is a, a, a kid's movie right um yeah a family I mean- movie maybe um yeah, they what? say kids movie. I 
watching this as an adult, I don't know how I handled it as a kid, honestly. I'd be very interested to hear your take on it as somebody who's sort of seeing it for the first time as an adult, because I don't know I don't know how I was getting through this as a kid. You'll see Is what it I mean. like really s- sad? Uh, don't tell me, don't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I guess we'll see. Um yeah, I, I guess the question I was asking is like d- how much, and we'll probably get into this later, how much of this, of your attachment to, do you feel is nostalgic versus just kind of the quality of it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's going to be an interesting topic to talk about next week, because there definitely is a nostalgic attachment to it. But at the same time, like, it feels like, you know, say when I watch, like, Toy Story or, or you know, another film that I think is just a genuinely good film that I have nostalgic attachment to, which I do, I do think when I separate myself I still feel like this is a pretty good movie. And, you know, like maybe you won't like it as much as I do without that nostalgia, but I still think I still think it holds up to some degree. Mm. Okay. Well, I guess that's a topic for us to revisit in two weeks. Um, yeah. Do you think there's anything else I should know about this movie going into it? No. No. All right. I guess that's <laughs> that then. <laughs> we'll be back in a fortnight to talk more about uh, The Land Before Time. Ah, oh, man, it's good to be back. Feels like it's been a while since we've done an episode. I guess it is a while. Um, yes, yeah, sorry. This one this one was a bit late, and that's that's on me. My, my travel plans no, ended no, up no, being a bit Elliot, of a mess. Elliot, we're trialing out a new date for the episodes. We're, we're going to... Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we, we've thought of a convenient lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we are, we, genuinely, we are going to be trying out doing some episodes that release on uh, Thursday or Friday for us Australians. Um, so, yeah, let us know how you, how you feel about the new date. It just kind of works with our schedule a bit better, I guess, so you don't get a say, audience. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but, but I, guess, I guess that's us. Yeah, but what you do get a say in is let us know what you think of The Land Before Time or of Good Omens. Hey, why not? Or just of the show in general. Um, the best way to do that is to shoot us an email. Our email is mediamdpodcast at gmail.com. If you send us any comments that we really like or that we find really insightful, we'll talk about it on the show potentially. So you can uh, get get famous. Yeah, uh, you can also reach out to us via Twitter. Um, you know, I, I can use Twitter now, so I can, oh, yeah. I can directly interact with you on there. Uh, for, those well us, <laughs> for those of us who, who follow the Media MD Twitter, which is at Media MD Podcast, uh, you may have seen that Elliot did a, a live read of Pact 7.10 the other day um, for our other show, Deep in Pact. Deep in Pact. Tell us about that, Elliot. Um, it's, a sh- it's a show where we follow Pact, uh, Wallabo's web serial, very closely. Mm-hmm. Up close and personal. We look, we zoom in on our Google Chromes all the way and read every single letter. <laughs> um, if you want to check out that show, of course, you can search Deep Impact or you can check out our website, which is mediamdpodcast.com. And there you can find links to all the stuff we just mentioned email, Twitter, Deep Impact, this show, as well as all of the previous clues for the Media MD ARG, where you can help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why are his prophecies so nice. Elliot, why don't you tell the listeners this fortnight's clue? Wallet wallet and we'll see you next fortnight